Hello, um, this is a podcast and my name's Dan, which is the general reason um, that it's called uh, Dancast. Um, I feel at this earliest of junctures that I should probably uh, say a little bit about myself. Um, I mean, realistically, this is a podcast being made for one person. It's going to be listened to by one person. My friend Rob, how are you, Rob? I hope you're well. hope you're enjoying your commute into work. Um, but I just by the chance of sheer kind of fluke and coincidence that somebody is listening to this that doesn't know me personally, uh, my name is Dan. Um, I'm about 30. Um, I have lived all my life in London, but about a month ago I moved with my wife to Seattle uh, in America. Um, I imagine that will crop up at certain points. Um, what else? Uh, ideally, I'd like to be a screenwriter um, or a, a comedian performer of some kind. That'd be lovely. Um, but until that point, you know, I'm, I'm fine just doing this kind of stuff in my spare time, which I do have a lot of since moving to America. Um, I need to apply for the right to get a job. Um, and generally speaking, that takes about three months, I think. So I'm going to have three months where I, I'm legally not allowed to work. Um, which seems kind of crazy for America. I thought that was the whole point of it, that it's like, hey, you know, dude, work hard and you can... Um, but I'm like, hey, can I work? And they're like, yeah, you got to wait three months though, pal. Enjoy Christmas, having to ask your wife for money to buy presents. Um, so that's me. That's my life. Um, this is... It sounds awful. I mean, I've, I've done podcasts before. There's an earlier version of Dancast um, on my website, um, at danswan.co.uk. Um, check them out. So I've done podcasts before. I'm not really sure what this is going to be about. Um, it's really just a, an opportunity for me to talk um, about things and, and be a bit creative, hopefully, and, and do some jingles. And I don't know. It's, it's you know, hopefully just a bit, a bit of fun. So, I, yeah, I don't really know what it's going to be by the end of it. I'm hoping that some kind of form will just kind of organically just start to, you know, um, present itself. Um, something that I, I thought today would be a good thing to think to think to, 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 to talk. Last night I went to see Spectre. Um, I don't often, well, I, I, I do, but not as often as I should go to the cinema uh, and, and take in a film because I am very tight. Again, that will probably crop up in various forms um, over these downcasts. Um, but yeah, I don't like spending money, so I don't often go out to the cinema. But when I do, I thought, you know, it's a good opportunity. Let's let's talk about it. Um, so I'm going to do a jingle of some kind. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to be. I'll do that afterwards. Um, but yeah, when we come back, I'll be talking about Spectre, um, the, the latest James Bond film. So uh, yeah, hope you enjoy. Dan went to the cinema, Dan went to the cinema, now he's going to talk about the film with spoilers. So yeah, as the jingle hopefully um, stated, um, I mean, I intend it to, I'm going to be doing it in the future, so surely I can, you know, I'm in charge of that. Um, this will be very spoilerific, I'm going to be talking about the whole thing, because I personally, uh, I know Empire, the movie magazine in England, do a... Um, uh, a series of um, spoiler podcasts um, about generally geeky films, the, the kind of films that people would want to listen to a spoiler podcast for. I mean, you're not going to get one of them for the remains of the day um, and finding out, oh, what did you think about Hopkins' performance? Blah, blah, blah. It's not going to happen. Uh, but more geeky films. 
um, they do and I really enjoy them so I think well if I enjoy them other people must enjoy them as well so let's do one of them and uh, and, and see what happens so yeah I'm going to be talking about it at length I saw it last night so it's still pretty fresh in my mind um, and I, I don't know any other way of doing it better again I'm possibly some kind of different you know way of doing things is going to present itself but as of now the best way I can think about it is just barrel through it right from the start um, so let's go ahead and do that it starts off um as you will know, hopefully as somebody who is, has seen the film, because uh, why would you be listening to this if you haven't seen the film, um, with a, a title, uh, a title um, thing up on the screen that just says, The Dead Are Alive. Now, that sets a tone, really. That That's a statement that you have to back up. Because um, obviously it, it relates to the fact that it starts off in Mexico City and it's the Day of the Dead, uh, Dias dos Muertos um, festival. Um but you've also got to have something else going on there. That's I don't accept, and I don't think it did. I don't think that did relate to anything else. There's no other point where somebody that you thought was dead is actually alive um, in the film. So I thought that was a bit of an odd way to uh, oddly kind of pretentious. But then there was Sam Mendes, and I do kind of I feel like there is a, a little element of Sam Mendes that is a little bit of a wanker. Um, I. I Part of this is that feeling is based on um, again Empire Magazine. They sent a um, a questionnaire out uh, to loads of famous directors um, and asked them to to kind of fill it out. And it was really interesting. It was uh, questions like who's the most important person on a film set, um, what what are some of the most important things that that you know it's important for a director to do to blah 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 all of these kind of things. Um, one of the last questions was, um, would you ever consider doing three D films? Um, and obviously some directors are like, yeah, I've already done them, they're really good. And some were like, oh yeah, I'd be open to do it in the future. Uh, and Sam Mendes said, I've already done 3D. It's called the theatre. And as much as obviously it was written down so I didn't know what the pronunciation was, I can imagine um, that he did pronounce it theatre as opposed to theatre. Um, and so yeah, I've kind of had a bit of a bit of an objection to him ever since. Um, and that opening title didn't really do much to dissuade me. Um, from that thinking but then obviously it goes into this amazing um, wonderful long kind of uh, one shot kind of tracking shot thing Bond and his um, his lady although obviously you don't know it's Bond at the start because he's wearing the awesome awesome skeleton suit and the skeleton mask and the top hat instantly super bummed that it's just been Halloween so it's like next Halloween absolutely that is me right there it looks super cool um but then as he's walking along you kind of figure out all right it's bond and he's he's got a lady with him um and it's this beautiful kind of four minute long um uh, uh, shot of going from from kind of down the street um in the day of the dead and then picking up bond and the woman they walk into a hotel and they get into the lift and they go up in the lift and they get out of the lift they go into the room uh, they have a little bit of uh, take the mask off oh my god it's bond have a little bit of a snog she goes down on the bed um and then by the time it whips round back round to bond obviously he's got that amazing you know he's done the amazing kind of quick change thing it's like oh, i'm not wearing the thing i'm wearing the bond suit which kind of thinks leads you to think so is he wearing two suits then because that Mexico City, I imagine, is a very, very hot place, and he doesn't look particularly sweaty or or perturbed, which is just the start of. Uh, there's going to be a lot of instances of that because I know I don't know, I I don't know where I should get into this, but I I feel like the big problem that I had with Spectre 
um, is that I kind of feel like they've changed the tone a lot um, with with the Bond films. Now, I've, I've never been a, a huge kind of Bond nerd. Um, I like the Bond films. I, I think that as as a British person, I think it's important to um, uh, to support them because it's a, it's one of the big kind of cultural legacies that we have in the world at the moment. Um, and I enjoy them. I, I think they're I think they're a lot of fun. But I think I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of in the history of Bond. There's been lots of different types of Bonds. There's been the Connery, which a lot of people kind of hold up as being you know that is the Bond. And then Roger Moore comes along and it's all a little bit more campy. And then Lazenby, which a lot of people didn't necessarily like him in it. But that's, you know, arguably one of the better stories in it because it's actually kind of an emotional investment in it, blah, blah, blah. And then Dalton comes along and he's a bit more kind of hardcore. He doesn't give a fuck. He's just going to kill people. And then Brosnan comes along. And I don't know whether this is just because he's my first Bond you know, and they always say like, "Well, the Bond that you grew up with—that's the one that you hold up." But I think Brosnan is amazing. I think he's really, really good as, as Bond. He really gets that kind of—you know—you kind of you believe the action um, to a degree, but then he's also got the—you know—he does the little quips and stuff, and he, he gets a nice balance with it. And then obviously Daniel Craig comes in with Casino Royale, and is amazing. That's very probably my favorite Bond film of all time. It's absolutely incredible. Um, right from the off with the with the black and white bit at the beginning. It was obviously very influenced by um, Bourne and so forth. Um, and why wouldn't you be? That's an amazing film, an amazing uh, trilogy. Um, but the, the kind of the action was a little bit harder. The jokes were a little bit more toned down. It was a little bit more realistic. Um, and it was a different it was a different tone, just as the way that yeah Roger Moore made it more campy. And Daniel Craig, okay, so we're going for a more kind of realistic, more kind of hard nosed. Um, Bond, and not just because he looks like his his nose has been broken um, several times, but he's beefy and he's he, like he will, he will beat people up. He just doesn't he doesn't care, and you really believe it because he's huge. Um, and yet now it's starting to creep in with the the kind of I don't know. I feel people are getting nostalgic for for the older Bond, for the more kind of quippy Bond, and obviously there are little bits and pieces um, even in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace where. He's a little bit, you know, he's got the, a bit of the raised eyebrow about him. But generally, they're a bit more kind of gritty and, and hard-nosed. And yet with this one, I, there are a few points definitely that I was like, it doesn't really, they're trying to have the best of both worlds. They're trying to have the, the kind of, the, the action and the emotional investment and it really matters to him. And he's, you know, oh, it's, it's life and death and oh, the terrible things and whatnot. Um, but they're also trying to have, you know the kind of uh, well, blah, 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 blah. and it doesn't really—I don't know—it doesn't really mesh well for me. I'm like, if you if you want to go for that and you want to change it around and you want to change the tone and go for a bit more of a light-hearted Bond, that's fine. But I think you'd need to change the Bond to do that. I think to to have that kind of breadth of change, I think it doesn't work. Still having Daniel Craig, not that he can't do it, because I think he was very very good in this film. But I just think, like, for me personally, if you're going to have... If you're going to do as they are doing, where it's like one a single continuity, where Bond, you know, where the events of previous movies affect this movie, which they didn't do before, really. It was... Everyone was a kind of an individual story. If they're going to do the thing where he remembers Vesper and he remembers, um, I don't know, Mr. Green and, the you know, all the other people... Um, then 
it, you need to s stay true to the tone that you set up in those previous films. So when I see things like Bond, yeah, getting changed into this different suit, it makes, like, when things are so realistic in Casino Royale, it makes me question those things more than I would if it had all been, like, this light-hearted kind of romp and it's all very kind of quippy and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, to be wearing two suits in Mexico City... I think he's uh, he's insane uh, a little bit, but the tracking shot is wonderful. You can see the joins a little bit in a couple of places because um, I've since found out through my uh, research that it's actually four separate shots that are melded together um, that go between Mexico City and Pinewood. Um, some of that was actually in Pinewood, which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, very very cool, very very uh, kind of attention grabbing, and really kind of thrusts you into the the, the mood of it. Um, straight away which is lovely um, and then yeah as as another example of, of it being a bit more light hearted even though I loved it um, the couch gag where the building falls down and he falls down and then he lands on the sofa I'm like that's I mean it was great and I did burst out laughing because that's, that's a lovely I say burst out laughing that makes me sound like an idiot but you know that <laughs> I laughed because it's a it's a lovely kind of you know thing and Craig sells it very well. But again, it's those kind of... Uh, is that really right for this Bond? Is that the kind of vibage that you want to throw in for this Bond? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then, obviously, we get to the helicopter tussling, which was amazing. And, obviously, a lot of it was done practically. And you can see that... And it's obviously not Daniel Craig, but it's still impressive that there's, there's two dudes, like, actually outside a helicopter fighting. And the guy's, like, flipping all over the place. Apparently, some kind of Red Bull stunt helicopter pilot thing and it was yeah very very cool oh that was one of the best action scenes in, in the whole film um a little bit of a shame i thought that the the guy who he's actually going after just gets kicked out of the helicopter and then just forgot you don't i don't know not that you want to see him kind of explode in, in the middle of the square but if he's the main per if he's the whole point of that first of why he's in Mexico City in the first place just kicking him out of the helicopter and then he's like oh and then you'd never see him again until it's his bloody funeral I don't know it's a little bit um, that was a little bit weird but yeah that helicopter scene uh, absolutely amazing um, and then Bond just flies off because he's a pimp. Um so that was super super cool then obviously we go back to London and the London stuff that, as I said I've, I've um, been in Seattle for about a month now and I have to say I did get a little bit homesick with the London stuff because it's like London porn it's like real that kind of I don't know seeing all the the sights and the you know I don't know just uh, a little bit a little bit reminiscent of when things just made sense when I would just leave my house and I, I could buy a drink in a bar and not feel guilty about what, what I'm supposed to do with tipping I ain't gonna tip nobody they ain't got me a drink they just pour the fucking thing out of the thing I could do that I'm not gonna tip them um so yeah that did make, make me a little bit uh, a little bit homesick um, and like on the Thames and stuff so that was uh, pretty pretty cool to see um, and then they introduce uh, C or what's his name Max in it Max Max Denby um, and they introduce him and it's it's Moriarty it's I know he's, he's obviously got a you know a different name <sighs> I can't remember what it is though that's going to annoy me um, but yeah obviously he's got a different name and he's not Moriarty but I kind of feel like in these kind of films, in these kind of big films, casting has to take that kind of thing into account. Because if your whole thing is that the twist 
is that he's actually a bad guy, which is obviously is the twist that they have at the end that that he's you know that, that C is a C. Um, then you can't telegraph it so much by having him played by the guy that most people who know him will know him as Moriarty um, from Sherlock um, because he was so good in that and he's you know victim of his own success. It's it's the reason why in one of the Harry Potter films. Um, the guy who escapes from uh, Sirius, who escapes from the prison, and everyone thinks he's going to come and just murderize Harry, something fierce, and he's played by Gary Oldman. And you're like, okay, yeah, of course it's Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is bad guys, um, so this makes sense. So then, when it turns out that he's actually a good guy, you're like, oh my god, this is a real surprise. It's Gary Oldman, but he's a good guy. What a wonderful surprise that is. Whereas this, a he's he comes in and he's at odds with them anyway. But there are ways of doing that where you can be, you know, he's what he's saying is making a lot of sense. And to an extent, what, what he says does make a lot of sense, but he is a bit of a dick about it as well. Um, so A, he's a dick. And B, he's played by Moriarty. You're like, oh, right. He's, it's, they, they're so telegraphing that he's a bad guy that you think, well, you have to play against that then. You have to, oh, actually he's a good guy and he's just, you know, he just has a different point of view to Bond and, and M and all the other people. He's just, you know, a guy going about his business, but you assume he's bad because of the inherent baggage that that actor comes in with. Um, so then when it's like, oh yeah, he's a bad guy and like the, I don't know and it's like, oh, South Africa um, votes against the thing votes against the Nine Eyes conspiracy, not conspiracy, security surveillance thing and then, like, two days later, massive bomb or whatever, massive attack in South Africa. You're like, dude, just, just, just keep it a little bit chilled, all right? Don't make it so blatant that you are a bad guy and that if they're going to vote, because you you could see it as soon as they had the hilarious massive um, iPad screen of like South Africa. Which big button do you press, South Africa? Do you go yes or you do you go no? Um, as soon as that happens, you're like, right, South Africa's getting fucked up because Moriarty doesn't take that kind of shit because um, he's clearly a bad guy. So that was a bit weird that that, that he was um, that they told you that he was a bad guy straight away and didn't give you any indication or any clue that he wasn't a bad guy. Um, worst twist, I think, uh, in a good long while. Um, love the stuff with Q. I like Ben Whishaw. I think he's really good. Uh, and a, a nice different kind of um, uh, character um, for these kind of films. A little bit nerdy, a little bit quiet, a little bit mousy. Uh, but not super afraid to kind of start some shit and start lying to people, which is pretty good. Um, references to 009. As I really wanted to see 009. I really wanted that to be like a kind of uh, celebrity cameo. I think that would have worked really nicely. That all this time we've been focusing on 007, but then there's similar... Um, similar films that are taking place elsewhere that we've never got to see with these 009 and 008. Obviously, 006 we've already seen with old Alex Trevelyan, old uh, old Sing Bean uh, in Goldeneye, which was awesome. That he's just James Bond but a bad guy. But um, yeah, I would have liked to see a little bit of uh, a little bit of 009 just walking in and saying, "Hey, dude, where's my car?" That's quite good, actually. I just thought of that. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you get to see Bond's apartment. And then, fucking Judy Dench. Uh, lovely that she shows up. Love a bit of Dench. I thought she was a great, uh, you know, 
a great foil uh, in these films for um, Daniel Craig and yeah very sad when she gets killed off at the end of Skyfall spoiler um, but then she comes back like if you're going to come back from beyond the grave to give somebody a message to tell them to follow up on a lead or whatever the fuck it was that you didn't have time to do when you were alive give them a bit more information than go to uh, find this guy then kill him then go to the funeral I know a lot more, but I'm not going to tell you. Ooh. Judy, come on, mate. Seriously. Seriously. What reason does she have to not give him that information? What reason does she have to play all coy and play the cards close to the vest? It can't be because she's worried about any kind of uh, you know, recrimination afterwards. Because she knows the very reason that somebody would be watching that video is if she was dead. So there's no you know, kind of extra thing that's going to fall down on her. She's going to get she's fine whatever um so just to be so kind of coy about it i i got annoyed with her I, i'm i'm not too proud to say i got a bit annoyed at um dame dench there i just thought that was ridiculous. like obviously obviously you can't tell everybody you can't tell bond the whole thing at the beginning um obviously you can't and then obviously you know from a, a kind of a story point of view he can't know everything at this stage but just find a different way of doing it. Maybe the tape got corrupted. Maybe this was the only; these were the only few seconds of footage that they could recover from. Blah blah blah. It was in a fire. Whatever the fuck it was, you need because it, otherwise she just comes across like a piece of shit. It's like, why aren't you telling me this, Judy? Why aren't you telling me that I have a possible half brother who runs a huge criminal organization and has been responsible for every bad thing that's ever happened to me? That you know, when I tripped over that paving stone, he was out there at five in the morning, knowing that I was going to walk there and levering it up. Why didn't you tell me that, Judy? Come on, Judy. Um, so that annoyed me. But then, obviously, that whisks us off to Italy. And again, just all of the, you know, it is lovely in Bond films just seeing all of these uh, kind of locations, and it's all just impossibly rich and wealthy. I, I found out afterwards. I mean, we're going to go to IMDb trivia after this. That's going to be a little section that I'm going to. Um, chuck in because it is my favourite thing and I do have a lot of bones to pick with them in this instance however one of the things that I did find out was that um, this is one of the most expensive films ever made between three, uh, 300 and 350 million dollars which is absurd absolutely ridiculous um, and you can absolutely see where all the money's gone the money's gone on everything because the the, the locations in this film are just absolutely outrageous and look gorgeous and look beautiful of course they do um but then we get to italy we go to the funeral um monica bellucci shows up which is always a treat because she's such a a, a lovely specimen uh, it's monica bellucci uh, and wonderful um a very good actress as well um but then obviously she didn't give a shit about her husband and that was a lovely line about the um can't you see i'm grieving for my husband and bond's like nah bitch you ain't grieving for nobody you don't even like him this is all for show um that was cool that was nice and then obviously bond tracks her back to her thing and again this is this is where it gets a little bit more like because one of my favorite things about casino royale is that he you know he's he's kind of seducing women and it's kind of for the information obviously it's for the information in this one as well but then, I don't know, the, the, the fact that they have the continuity, the fact that 
everything that happened from Casino Royale onwards has happened, and it's not just this kind of standalone story, means that you kind of feel bad that he's just nobbing everyone um, as soon as he sees them. You're like, well, what about Vespa? James, what would Vespa say uh, about that? The, the apparent love of your life um, who abandoned you and, and betrayed you, even though she was kind of forced to, and I can't really remember, but it was really cool. Um, but yeah, that's just, it was super quick. Super quick. That's how Bond does it. He just walks forward to a woman that he wants to have sex with, knowing that inevitably she's going to reach a wall where she can't walk backwards any further. And then he's just going to mash his face onto her lips. And then they're going to start kissing. And once those silky soft Bond lips have gone, then she's going to be undressed. And then here's another... Um, much with the uh, much like with the uh, the changing of the suit earlier, um, the ridiculous situation where he's kissing her passionately, definitely tongues going on in there, definitely a bit of French vibes on the kissing, um, and then we obviously jump cut to post coital. He's leaving because um, he's going to the Spectre meeting. Um, when he's unzipping the, her dress when she when they're kissing, reveals. Uh, an entirely naked back. Obviously, she's not wearing any underwear um, because she's, you know, continental. That's 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 how she rolls. That's fine. But then when she's on the bed, she's wearing like a corset and stockings and the whole. Th- like, did you put that on once you started having sex? Did you put that on after you've had sex? Is that like your equivalent? Is that an Italian dressing gown? I don't know. Um, but I thought that was ridiculous that they were like. Why, why is she why is she wearing that why isn't she just under the covers or, or or something or wearing a dressing gown or something that she could have easily put on after having sex of course it's quite a difficult thing to get into or a, uh, I don't know what they call a bustier kind of thing I just thought that was a bit ridiculous um, but then he obviously he goes to the meeting um, and the meeting was great I really really liked that I thought that was great the the um, walks coming in and he's all in shadow and the power and the <laughs> I like that he called the dude over his little kind of bitch uh, calls him over just because he can't be bothered to move the microphone <laughs> slightly close to him I thought that was a lovely little touch um, I thought the thing with Batista the Drax the Destroyer coming in and killing the dude I don't know. I like. I get that they wanted to make him the strong, silent type, but if he is able to talk, which he is, because at the end, just before he dies, he says shit, so he can. He has the ability to talk. So they're just trying to make him kind of, you know, enigmatic or whatever. Or I, I don't know what what the reason is for for having him not speak, um, but it annoys me in situations like that when it's clear that they are trying to trying to make him not talk um that's their whole point is that they they you know oh and he's a character and he doesn't say a word he just he doesn't say anything he just crushes a dude's eyeballs into his skull with metal i what i assume are metal thumbnails i guess that's the point of it that these are metal thumbnails that he doesn't use for anything else i mean that's they're not his like special then it's not like odd job who's got the you know the the bowler hat and he uses that every time that he fights it's like i've got these thumbnails that are made of metal that i use only when caving in somebody's eyeballs into their skull 
Um, I thought that was a bit of a, a bit of a stupid thing. If you're gonna have a cool kind of Bond villain quirk, like have him use it maybe more than once, because otherwise there's absolutely no point. And then he just sits down. And it's like you would say something. It's it's natural to say something, even something very little, like um, one of my favourite uh, 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 films, uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, has a character, Mister Shush, um, who, as the name suggests, doesn't say a lot. Um, but he does say things when he has to say things. He just doesn't say anything unnecessary, and that's the whole point. Whereas this guy's like, oh, he's, oh, he doesn't say anything. That's a character quirk. I just, yeah, that annoyed me a little bit. Um, but then it had the best moment of the whole film, where Bond's like just kind of slinking around upstairs, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, one of these guys, and yeah, fuck it. Um, and then fucking. <laughs> Uh, Christoph Waltz just l- guns him directly um, uh, in that whole meeting. No build up to it whatsoever. He's like, I know that you're there. And everyone turns around and you're like, oh boy! That was absolutely amazing. Ruined in the trailer, because I remember that being in the trailer a little bit, which uh, is a bit annoying. Um, like I saw Terminator Genesis uh, recently. Like the whole twist that. Why? Well, I'm not going to say that actually because that's spoilers. And if you haven't seen that, then that's fine. I mean, fuck it. It's a shit film. So if you haven't seen it, don't see it because it's not good. But the whole twist is that John Connor, who you think is the good guy, is actually the bad guy because he's some kind of new type of Terminator. And then they ruin it in the trailer. You know, don't, don't ruin it in the trailer. Have him set up as the good guy, and then when he twists, that's the whole point of a fucking twist. Ask M Night Shyamalan. Don't ask him about anything else, but ask him about that. Um. What was they talking about? Yeah, so that was that was the best part of the, that was the best moment of the whole film. Absolutely amazing and just terrifying, just absolutely terrifying. Um, just any situation where a room full of people turn and look at you. I mean, I don't know whether that just goes with my self-esteem issues, but that's that's terrifying in and of itself. And then when they all have guns, they all have killed people, and they're all part of an international crime syndicate. That's when he goes, "Oh my god, yeah, I'd, I'd be jumping out of a window as well." Um, and then they got into the car chase, and there was a nice bit in the car chase with the the Fiat Five Hundred and the guy getting pushed and he's all scared and whatever that was a lovely little beat but then the rest of it was really boring because A there's nobody on the streets I guess they must have used up their extras budget in Mexico City because all absolutely spotless in the streets and it was just two attractive cars driving quickly one after each other which I imagine for for some people for like the petrol heads and I think there are quite a few of those who go and see James Bond films who who are in it as much to see the car as they are anything else still one of my favorite memories of of being in a cinema ever i think was when uh, i went to see casino royale um and uh, obviously he's got the lovely car there um and <laughs> the set, the bit where he ends up uh obviously he's driving where is he driving he he knows that they they've got vespa i think they've they've kidnapped vespa and um he's driving down these kind of quiet kind of country roads in Montenegro or wherever it is and um, then she's in the road all of a sudden and he has to turn and he does that which I think was another world record of the um, the most amount of car spins when it crashes it did like eight spins or something and when that car started breaking there was an audible gasp from the audience everyone's like oh my goodness no not the car not the bloody car um, yeah so I think there are a lot of um a lot of petrol heads um, who go and see James Bond films um, 
which is fair enough. But yeah, for me, I, I don't know. It was just a little bit boring. Um, and then obviously to to have it seems to be a, a running thing now. I thought it was interesting as well that Bond is only ever referred to as an assassin um, in the film. He's not a spy um, in the film, which makes sense because he doesn't actually do any spying. Um, other films, he's kind of a bit more deductiony and a bit more, you know, like he is actually spying on people. Um, but here, all the spying's done by Money Penny. He just phones her up in the middle of a car chase and says, "Would you do some spying for me? Spy for me? Would you, Money Penny? Would you spy for me?" Um, and then she she does it and she finds out. What does she find out? Oh yeah, that the pale man is is Mr. White, which is a lame thing. I, I yeah, I think that's the pale the pale king. Why is he a king? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really like that. Um, but yeah, it finds out that, you know, oh, you've got to go to Austria now. Oh, so he goes to Austria. Um, and I really liked that scene. I thought that was a, that was a nice scene. It had a really nice um, line at the end just before he kills himself. Uh, what is it? He's, uh, you're just a, you're a kite flailing in a tornado or something. I was like, oh, that's nice. And then he shoots himself. Um, and then he goes to the, the weird little box on a mountain spa thing but I, d I never really it's like a clinic but you don't really know what it's a clinic for um, and she works there but why does she work there I, I don't know it was all a bit confusing um, and then you have the nice little joke about the you know the, the what's it drink and then you chuck it down the whatever and then <laughs> And then Batista's driving away with her in the... Uh, and then she gets to be a bit kick-ass and she kind of stabs the guy with the syringe that he was going to stab her with and that's all very nice. Um, and then Bond's in a plane. And I, I... You know, obviously I'm just kind of skipping over the story but there was no story for that. There was no story between Bond is in the thing and then just Bond just shows up. Hey, guys! Like, I understand, obviously, that... Bond has to just use what's there. He's, you know, he's at this point at least he doesn't have the backing. Or was it at this point? I don't know. At some point he doesn't have the backing of 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 MI five or MI six at that time. So he's just kind of whatever he whatever comes to hand he's got to use. But was there nothing more practical than a plane? Because there was no. I, there's no reason why that should have worked. It's only huge, huge. Um, luck that he was able to achieve any kind of positive results by chasing a car with a plane um, but that's fine I guess that's Bond that's again getting to a bit more of a, the, the kind of campy side of Bond um, we also had the weird bit there where that you were kind of expecting I suppose where Q is able to analyse everything about the ring by placing it on a little USB thing that he sticks into his laptop um, which is the best laptop in the world and I want that laptop um, and you find out that Le Chiffre and the the guy from Quantum of Solace and um, Javier Bardem that they are all part of Spectre and it was all a big thing and um, they were all but then I don't know I don't know I'll get a bit more into that in a little bit I wouldn't necessarily go over the moon with that then we go to Tangiers I think it was Tangiers with the hotel room and they get a bit pissed and she um, refuses Bond which I was pleased with I was like yeah because why why does every single woman 
have to want to jump his bones just because he's you know James Bond and that's that's what happens that's what he does um, so I, was, I, I liked that I thought that was good and then there was the little mouse gag it's like who are you who are you working for that was really nice um, and then the fact that the mouse goes under the thing and he's that then uses that to, to find the room he just busts through the whole wall just smashes through a wall it's like did you not realise that when you know because that that went back quite a fair way. It wasn't like that that was a little kind of cupboard or something. That was a whole huge, like doubling the size of the room, essentially. Um, and it had the really nice moment where um, she got up and there's the, the little kind of um, board, little cork board of photos of her. And I always, I don't know, I always, a sentimental old fart. Um, yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was a, a nice little touch that he was, you know, he did, oh, he did, love, he did love her, and he, you know. Um, and then we find out some more coordinates, and then we're on a train. And it was at this point that I started to wander a little bit. My mind started to kind of glaze over, because I really, between the, the train bit right up until we get to Blofeld's lair, which is the only thing that it can be described as, um, I had absolutely no idea where we were why we were going there what we were going to find who we were planning on seeing when we got there very very strange really disorientated uh, by this point which i guess you always are to an extent in um bond films i mean it was one of the big criticism of quantum of solace that it's just nonsensical and it's like now we're going to be over here now we're going to be now we got to be in uh, wherever we are um but yeah, so they're on a train, fine, whatever. Um, and even though they're kind of, you know, they're on the run, they're going potentially towards their death, they don't know. I mean, I think at this point they're expecting to go to see Christoph Waltz. I think they know that that's where he is and that's where he's going to be. Um, still, Bond obviously takes his kind of white tuxedo jacket, takes the, the thing, and she obviously brings her immaculate silk dress um and is doled up like nothing you've ever seen um and they look amazing and it's an amazing thing even though they're on a train they've got ready for that evening let's not forget when they're when they're sitting there and they're having that repartee which was surprisingly similar to um the scene in casino royale where he kind of starts his flirtation with um uh vespa which i thought was an odd choice when she's supposed to be the love of his life and then here's another woman who at some point he you know then gets into a, a, a more of an, a, a relationship than one of his other kind of disposable women more than Bellucci certainly um, and they were doing the same kind of thing and it was on a train and it was all very flirtatious I thought that was a, an odd choice but bear in mind whilst that scene you know before that scene has gone on they've got ready for that on a train and I really can't stress how unrealistic that anybody would able to look that good when they're getting ready on a train absolutely uh, absurd um, and then whilst they're going on with that scene and having their meal and doing all of this kind of stuff and uh, and whatnot, and they've got ready for it. They've got on the train. All of this. Um, Batista's on the train because Batista then attacks them. Um, so he must be on. I mean, we don't see any stops. There may have been stops. I don't know, but we don't see any stops. Batista's on that train. He's um, <clears throat> and he's just w waiting there. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe he's being like I. I never like to kill a man. <laughs> 
on an empty stomach. And so he's like, no, I've, I've heard that they have a lovely tagine that they're serving on the train. So I'm going to stick around for the tagine. Let that digest. Maybe have a, a little snifter of brandy afterwards. And then once all that's done, then I'm going to kill Bond. Because they're probably going to throw me off the train after that point anyway. So I want to be able to you know, take full advantage of all the immunities. Um, now that fight was great though. That was like a fucking Peter Griffin fights a chicken fight. One of those, everything just smashing into everything. Everything's getting destroyed through walls and smashing through tables and all kinds of stuff. Really, really cool. Um, and one of those, like clearly trying to obviously set up the Hinks, which I have now found out that his name is. Like, don't give him a cool name if you're not going to say it. That's, I don't know, that, that, that just seems stupid to me. Um, don't give him a name if you're not going to say it, really, because what's the point? Why does he need one? Um, but yeah, clearly trying to set up that he's obviously huge, which he is, and that he's a massive powerhouse because every single punch was sounded like a, a kind of a tree hitting a larger tree, just um, which was very, very cool. Um, and then then she gets involved and she shoots him but he's still coming after her and then James with the rope and the thing and the thing and him getting yanked out of the train I thought that was very nice I thought the shit I thought they could have come up with a better line for that because um, Q had already used that that kind of shit one word reaction thing Um, obviously not when he's being yanked off a train but I thought that was a little bit um yeah, I thought you could come up with a different different word or a different instance for that. Or why does he need to say anything? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. But yeah, the fight was great. Then they obviously they get off the they get off the train. Um, no luggage. Why would they have luggage? There's there's no reason for them to have luggage. Um, just leave the tuxedo dress. Leave the the beautiful silk dress. Just leave them on the on the train. That's all right. Um, by which point, of course, they've had sex. So that's an official thing now. So they obviously have to uh, have to have sex. Um, and then the the driver, then Morgan Freeman drives up in the car and drives them off to the lair. And it is a lair. It's not a. It's not anything that could be described as anything other than a lair. Which again is kind of a little bit more cartoony Bond. Um, and I yeah, all the while that they were arriving there. And they're getting the champagne, and there's the little guy outside, and whatnot. And again, Bond wearing a suit in the middle of the desert must have been sweating his ass off. But he's like, at least I'm only wearing one suit this time. Um, all that time, I'm thinking, what are they doing here? Really trying to rack my brains. Like, how did we get to this point? Absolutely no idea. Um, and then they enter the room with the thing, with the you know the meteorite thing. And then he comes out again, lovely lighting, lovely looking scene. In terms of walks though, I kind of feel like it was just, I don't know, I kind of feel like I've seen it before. Um, and as much as Hans Lander in Inglorious Bastards is one of, the, one of the great screen characters, really, really terrifying but funny and endearing even though he's a shit because he's that charismatic um really really good and then he did kind of just a watered down version of that for king schultz in um uh django 
for which he got the Oscar, which it was absolutely not deserved. Um, and then I just kind of feel like he's watered it down again slightly for this one. I just, yeah, it kind of felt like it wasn't anything that I hadn't seen before. You'd want something a bit more, I don't know, a bit more interesting. Look at Javier Bardem in the last film, even though he had much less to do, although Waltz didn't really have a lot to do in this one. Um, but Bardem was great, a real different kind of Bond villain that we hadn't seen before. And I didn't really feel like um, Waltz had that in this, which is a shame. Uh, and then he, obviously he gets revealed as, you know, he's Blofeld, um, which doesn't mean anything, really. I mean, it's it's a thing of like, oh, so he's Blofeld because they're doing like a reboot and he's, you know, there's a new Q and there's a new Money Penny and he's a new Blofeld. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't think I've seen any of the old films that have Blofeld in them. So it meant nothing to me. It just seemed like a weird thing that they were building up. Like, and again, you're trying to think back of like, has he been mentioned before? It's like, I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. It's like, but who is that? What's, I don't know, what's the point in saying that that's his name? It seemed like in Star Trek, the, the Into Darkness, when it's when he's like, I am Khan. You know, like, who's Khan? Because again, if, if you're not one of the, you know, kind of diehard fans, it's, it's not something that's going to mean that much to you. Um... And then yeah, so he and then he reveals that in the little thing, the the scene with all the kind of geeks on the on their kind of computers, the silent automatons clicking around on the surveillance things, that he that I, it looked like that was a green screen. I don't know if 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 you felt like that as well, but it felt like that was on a green screen, which is weird. If you're spending three hundred and fifty million dollars on a film, build a little computer thing. Because it's you know it is noticeable, um, and if you did build it, why should I don't know? It just looked a little weird, a little bit jarring, um, but not as jarring as him saying that he's responsible for everything. Um, that there was every you know every um, thing that's gone wrong in Bond's life was because of um, Blofeld, which I don't know. I I need in those instances like I love a bit of retconning. Don't. Get me wrong, don't, you know, I'm not kind of so precious about things as some people are, where they're like, well, no, you know, that was that was Le Chiffre and he was acting on his own. He's blah, 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 blah. That was the story and don't change that now. Um, if you want to change it, that's absolutely fine because there have been some very, very clever retcons in the world of comics, in the world of films um, that work really, really well. But if you are going to retcon something to that extent that Blofeld is behind everything, I want to see some evidence. I want to see, you know, some shots from Casino Royale where they superimpose Blofeld in the background or whatever in a subtle way, or a little shot with Mads Mikkelsen and they get him. Like, I want to see that. I don't. I don't buy. I mean, I do because obviously, you know, I'm not going to say that he's lying, but it seems a little bit weird for him to say, "Oh yeah, and that was all me behind it." Just take my word for it. It's like I want to see something. I want to see some kind of evidence of that. Um, otherwise, I'm calling falser. I'm calling bullshit. Um, yeah. So, I'm, and then the fact that he's this brother—I don't know. I thought that was quite nice. But again, it's going into the backstory of Bond a little bit, which I'm not as big a fan of. Um, I prefer—I think I do prefer it when it's just kind of standalone, like, like because Bond's kind of—I don't know—I kind of feel like he's like a mythical character at this point he's such a big character he's such a and he's just got these tropes that's like that's what bond is like with uh, i was saying to my wife last night like with king arthur there's no there's so many different report like kind of stories about king arthur 
Um, so there's no one kind of accepted canon for him. He's just a character that, you know, is used in a lot of stories. And I think Bond is at that point as well. It's, you, I, I'm not a huge fan of the, you know, having this kind of calling back to previous films. I prefer it where it's like, right, he is a secret agent. There can be personal things, but they're personal to the job as opposed to the, the private life. The, the more you find out about him, the less of a mythical character he becomes. Um, and I think having Waltz as his brother, as much as it's a nice idea, like with the whole cuckoo thing, even though him doing the cuckoo thing in the meeting was just, I think it was just weird, trying to be kind of creepy and weird for weird sake. I didn't really like that. Um, as much as I understand it's quite a nice story and you get the kind of motivation behind it. I just thought, I don't know, I just thought it was a bit weird. Um, then we go to the torture thing. The torture was awful. I really hated that, uh, but in a good way. Um, just anything just kind of stabbing in, just really grim. And I was, yeah, I was kind of, my anus was tightened um, hugely in that just really, oh, and it's going into his head. and um, The watch thing, whilst I get and I like it that he, you know, that he needed some way of getting out of it, um, I didn't like that um, he hadn't used it before or he hadn't even looked at it before that Q just says, oh, the alarm's a bit noisy, which you get that means you can set an alarm on it that means that it blows up, um, but that Bond can operate it apparently for the first time without seeing it with his hands tied behind his back, knows exactly what's going to happen. I don't know, I thought that was a little bit weird but then I like you know like it and then they get out of there and then she fucking says that she loves him and again this is a big thing this is a thing that always annoys me in films where there is a love story now for me a love story doesn't have to be about love a love story is two characters kind of connecting and they want to you know they want to be with each other that's a love story it's not necessarily about love it's about a connection and too many films, I think, make it into an actual love story where she loves him. She is in love with him. And there's no, it is not earned in any way, shape, or form. You haven't built up any kind of big relationship between the two of them. It just seems really forced, really rushed. Like, yeah, she likes him. She's had sex with him. She wants to be with him. That I can absolutely buy. But like, oh, James, I love you. And then fucking. Two minutes later, when they're in London, she's like, oh, I love you, but I'm just going to fuck off down this alley and get kidnapped. You're like, well, wh which is it? So then is it like, did she say, I love you, just thinking that that would get him out of his, you know, coma or whatever he was supposed to be in? Very, very strange little moment and completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary. And for James Bond as well, it's like, it makes much more sense to say to him, hey, James... I kind of want to suck your dick. And then he's like, whoa, yeah, I'm going to come back to life because I, I want to get a blowjob because I'm James Bond and I love having sex. Um, yeah, that was strange. But then they escape and then there's the cool kind of, you know, bit that's straight out of a video game where all the guards are arriving and he's just headshotting them all and they're all dead. And then the, then the explosion, which the IMDb trivia tells me, was is in the Guinness World Records for the biggest... Uh, movie explosion of all time which I can absolutely buy because it was huge and it was awesome it looked absolutely outrageous um, so that was uh, a lot of fun, then we're back to London um, and then the, the oh, 
Oh yeah. Oh, I kind of glossed over there that um, Moriarty gets found out to be the bad guy. Of course he does. Of course he does. You you see it as soon as he <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, it's a twist. No, it's not. Um, get back to London. Rafe finds and Bond get rammed by the car. Rafe finds escapes. I wanted Rafe finds to be a bit more badass than that. I wanted Rafe finds to be a little bit like the bit in um. Dark Knight Rises, where those two guys go to kill um, Jim Gordon uh, when he's in his hospital bed, uh, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is running after him, uh, running through the hospital with his shotgun. He's like, "I've got to save the commissioner," um, and then he bursts into the door, and the commissioner's already just conked him out, and they're just dead or knocked out or whatever because he's like, he can handle himself. Like slightly older guys, lot of training can absolutely kill younger guys I love that, I think that's a, a great little thing I wanted him to be a bit more, I wanted him to kill some people there, not just kind of run away um, but then Bond gets out of the thing, shoots the two guys of course he's able to disarm them um, and then he just rips through the what I assume are like the kind of the, the cable ties, which are pretty much impossible to, to rip through and I like the idea that in the um, when they're writing the script and they're thinking, right? How do we get him out of the? Because obviously they would have they would have secured his hands, you know. Um, so how do we get him out of that? How does Bond manage to? And it's like half four on a Friday, and they're like, fuck! It. He just pulls him apart. He's he's James Bond. By this point, people don't care. People just want James Bond to win because he's God. That's fine. Um, so he just smashes out of them. Then we get the uh, the amazing kind of similar to um, the beginning of Casino Royale, with the guy in the office. Who tries to shoot Bond, and then he finds that Bond's stolen his uh, his bullets. They do the same gag, um, but it works, and that that almost kind of makes it seem like well, that's part of MI6 training. <laughs> they say if you're gonna you know be coolly waiting in somebody's office when they arrive and they've got a gun in their desk, make sure you take the bullets out. That's kind of 101, and then they'll try and shoot you, and then you open up your hands, and there are the bullets there. When probably you would have thrown them away by this point. There's no reason for you to keep the bullets other than that lovely little reveal. Um, and then you have the great line, the great line. Oh, um, now we know what C stands for. And then they ruined it by saying careless. They ruined it by saying careless. Um, and obviously, you know, probably the reason that they did it was, you know, because you can't have a Bond film <laughs> where one character essentially calls another character a cunt. But that would have been amazing. Just leave it at that. Just leave it at that. Ray finds. Rafe Fiennes knows what he's saying. Moriarty knows what he's saying. We all know what he's saying. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but careless. There was a little bit of a, a groan in the audience um, when when he said, oh, careless. And I was like, oh. No, he doesn't mean that, does he, Rafe Fiennes? Come on. Um, then Walt shows back up with some dynamite makeup. Just that eye scar thing looked amazing. Like, really awful and really tender and grim and like it hadn't healed at all. Which it wouldn't have done because it only happened a couple of days previously. I'd imagine. I don't know what the timeline's like on these things. Um, but yeah, I thought that. I was like, oof, did they actually just cut his eye um, through that? That's, that's kind of crazy. Um, and then, yeah, just a real... Like, as much of a... I don't know, kind of Bond baddie kind of end bit as it's possible to have he set a thing in three minutes this is all going to blow up making the choice 
why does he need to make the choice between the thing and the thing? Why does that? Why not just kill him? It's it's the age old Bond thing, but what you know, if you're doing it more realistic, then you know, commit to that and don't have three minute counters. Um, and then uh, and yeah, to to start the counter, saying, "Oh, brothers just know how to push each other's buttons," and then it's got three minutes. I thought that was a bit silly. Um, and then also, why hang around? Why hang around to watch it blow up? Like, in three minutes, if he's just got to walk out of that door, get in a helicopter and fly off, in three minutes, they could be in Dorset, surely. It's a helicopter. They can go super fast. And then there'd be no chance of Bond being able to shoot you down with two magazines worth of bullets from a handgun, like, a hundred metres away in a boat that's been... I don't know. I just think you've only got yourself to blame there, Blofeld, I'm afraid. You kind of let yourself down. If you're the head of an international crime syndicate, you know when to stay and when to get the fuck out of town. Because you know that Bond's going to get his way out of it. You know that he's going to get his way out of it. He's done it many times before from traps that apparently you've set for him because you're responsible for everything that's ever happened in his life. I just thought that was a bit silly. And then the helicopter crashes, big anti-climax. And he's crawling out. And then he's on the bridge, and that was a nice thing where he's like, he can go left, and he can go back to, you know, M and the thing, or he can go right, and he can go towards the girl. Um, even though it's not earned. Even though it's massively not earned, again, because it's a love story that is, you know, shouldn't really be. Um, but it was a nice kind of visual thing. I was watching a... Um, little video essay that was about kind of left choices and right choices like sometimes that's a that's a really nice kind of way of really showing the audience of, of a big choice of having one having a character that who's literally in between the two paths that they could take and one of them's on the right, left side of the screen one of them's on the right side of the screen I thought that worked really well um, but yeah again just a, a weird thing of like because I love her now I love her this is the love of my life now and it's kind of I mean, obviously, you know, he is going to be back. There's <laughs> never going to be a last Bond film, but it almost was kind of implied that he's like, he's not going to come back. And then, yeah, Q kind of confirms that at the end when he's like, "I didn't think you'd you'd come back." So he's like, "Is he just gone forever now? Is he just he's going to go and live with this this woman, this young woman as well?" And here's where we get to another thing. I know there's been a lot of stuff um, in the press about this kind of thing, and a lot of actors and actresses have spoken out about it and part of it's been with regard to this film because obviously Monica Bellucci is, is I think one of only uh, a very small amount of Bond girls who are actually older than the Bond that they end up shagging um, but it it does bother me, it really bothers me because um, I do think I'm one of these people who thinks that it is very creepy um, when people are in relationships with people who are massively outside of, you know, more than like five, six, seven, maybe maybe ten, at an absolute push, uh, maybe ten years uh, age difference. But when it gets to be more than that, I just think it's creepy. And I think it's creepy when it's an older man and a young woman. I think it's creepy when it's an older woman and a younger man. I just think, what's the problem with casting people of similar ages. What is the problem there? Why have, you know, what's what's the issue? Um, because, I, I don't know, who would, 
I guess, you know, part of it is that it kind of plays into this male fantasy of, you know, seducing a much younger woman with a much kind of lither, tighter, fitter body um, than a woman who are, who's their own age. But I've never understood that because it's like younger women are stupid then. And you make references to TV shows that run when you were growing up and they're like, oh, I, d- I don't know that. And you're like, what? What is wrong with you? Why would... I, I don't understand that at all. And it bothers me. And she... I I, th- I think she's one of those actresses that looks younger than she is, but she looked like she was in her early twenties, um, and he looks like he's in his late forties, and it's just gross, and it's weird, and it's grim, and it's absolutely unnecessary, absolutely unnecessary. Like again, in a Bond context, he's a cool guy, he's a spy, he has a gun, he's good at fighting, he has sex with a lot of women. I can buy that. That's fine. That's understandable. Um, and I imagine he would have sex with a lot of younger women. That's fine. But if if you're going for that, this is a this is a bigger thing than that. That this is you know he loves her. You know this is well he's he's choosing her over his job. It's like make it a woman of an appropriate age. Come on, guys. There's no need to have him kind of going around with this kind of awful thing. That if he hung out with her and his friends, not that he really has any friends, but if he was out with his friends. If James Bond fictionally had a group of friends and he's like, oh, I'm going to bring my girlfriend, Madeline Swan, they'd all feel uncomfortable because they'd be like, that's weird. When we were in school, she was barely born. James, I get that you're an international super spy, but this is creepy as fuck. End it with her, please. Um, yeah, don't really understand it. Don't really understand it. It happens all the time, though. And it's, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully something that is does seem to be changing the more people kind of make a bit of noise about it in 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 the industry hopefully that will be something that changes but yeah it, it does it does weird me out a little bit it's something that's that's kind of crept up on me as, as i've got a bit older and i started to look at it and I'm like Oof, that's yeah i don't like it um and then there's the amazing shot at, right at the end um not when they're in the car but when he has a text um one of the best shots in the film where Q's in his little thing and then Bond comes out and the doors open and he's just standing there and it rises with the music music I have to say not amazing in this and it was by Thomas Newman which is strange because I love Thomas Newman I think he's scored some of the most beautiful music um, uh, from films Um, a, a really 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 talented guy but for this one I just thought it was nondescript Unless it was one of the big Bond, which just seemed like they were, could have been just the ones from the 1960s, just very simple and straightforward. Like, this is just the Bond thing. There's no kind of variations on it. So I was a little bit disappointed with the music, if I'm honest. Um, overall, yeah, I, th- I think that's that kind of says the vibe of the whole thing. A little bit disappointing um, for me. Uh, I, yeah, I did find myself, my mind wandering. Um, I found it to be a little bit stupid the plot obviously didn't make any kind of sense at all but you kind of expect that for a Bond film but then it's they're still trying to have the, the seriousness and the grittiness but then they're not trying to have that at the same time I just, yeah I thought it was uneven in its tone and it was um, a little bit of a yeah a, a, a bit of a disappointment for me um, 
but still watchable some great action great performances I thought Daniel Craig was very good I thought the um, what's her name uh, Leia Leia Sidhu uh, was good wasn't a big fan of Christoph Waltz wasn't a big fan of um, Batista although he didn't really have anything to do at all in any way shape or form um, I did think Moriarty was good but I do think he's good Ray Fiennes was good so a lot of good performances in it but just putting it together I don't know it didn't really work for me um and I have to say, and this is something that I forgot to mention before, in terms of the opening title sequence, Toss. That I, I hadn't listened to the Sam Smith song. I'd heard bits and pieces about it. I'd heard that some people were pretty disappointed with it. I hadn't heard it. I hadn't kind of sought it out myself before uh, watching the film. But just massively underwhelming. Really, really kind of boring. Quite a nice... Um, uh, opening sequence in terms of the design of it I like the, the kind of going with the octopus vibe and the ink vibe and all the like sexy ladies with like ink underwater hair I thought that was a nice thing um, but yeah kind of yeah really let down by the music which is a shame overall I'd give it like a five five and a half out of ten um, so I wasn't a big fan uh, at all but um, yeah I, I, I guess worth a watch I think it's more of a um more of a Netflix watch than a cinema watch, um, but then you you know you've already gone to see it anyway. So whether you've seen it legally or illegally, um, illegally you're probably thinking yeah I made the right choice there, um, and legally thinking yeah probably could have saved my pennies. But um, never mind, it's you know it's, it's all part of the rich tapestry of life. Um, now I don't know if you're the same as me. Um, if you're not, you might not have a huge amount of interest in this uh, podcast moving forward. But I'm the kind of nerd who as soon as I see a film, as soon as I see a film, um, I will immediately go onto IMDB and go onto the trivia page. Um, it is as integral a part of watching a film as anything else, as having your eyes open um, for me. Um, and this was no exception and I could see that it had a shit ton uh, of trivia, which is always lovely. My wife hates it because I always make her read it out to me. Um, but uh, I really... Uh, I generally really enjoy it and for this there were some great um great bits of trivia i think because again like i was saying you know that this is quite a geeky thing i think there are a lot of real bond geeks out there i think it's it's um a special kind of sect uh, of moviegoers that are real kind of bond geeks um and they love all of this kind of shit so um yeah we're gonna have a how many we got we've got three good ones Three good ones, and then some other ones, which we'll discuss a little bit um, later on. Um, this is the first one that blew my mind. Reportedly, Daniel Craig's salary on the movie is uh, allegedly... So don't say reportedly and allegedly. So this is the problem that they allow just anybody to write. It's like Wikipedia, but they don't seem to monitor it too much. And there's a there's a weird thing underneath each trivia thing where it says, like, naught or... 10 out of 10 people found this interesting because you can put underneath if you're logged into your IMDb whatever that you can say I found this interesting or I didn't find this interesting but there seems to be no consequence for that there's no thing of like well if more than 5 people if more than half the people who say whether it's interesting or not interesting say it's not interesting then it doesn't get shown there's nothing like that all of this but anyway I'll get onto that in a minute but reportedly Daniel Craig's salary on this movie was twenty five point four million pounds, uh, which would make Craig the highest paid actor um, to portray James Bond. 
Now let's just have a little let's just have a little think with ourselves about how much money that is because that is a shit ton of money. Um, one of the other trivia things said that um, this is Daniel Craig's first film since 2012, uh, and his last film was Skyfall. I was like, yeah, of course. Why would you, why would you do anything else? If you're getting paid 25.4 million pounds to be in one film, then fucking why would you do anything else? Like, you just sit around and do whatever he wants for three years. I mean, you could sit around and do whatever you want forever with 25.4 million pounds. There will be no point in the rest of your life that you ever have to wonder, oh, can I afford it? Because you just you buy it. Oh, I want that. Oh, I'll buy it then. Because I'm James Bond and I got paid 25.4 million pounds for it. Absolutely outrageous. Um, uh, this is this is an interesting one. This is more about the kind of uh, the the craft of making the film and the logistics uh, that go into to making a film like this, which are absolutely staggering. Um, in order to complete the London scenes involving low flying helicopters, the production had to send out eleven thousand letters to residents and businesses that fell within the fly zone. So just instantly from that, that's an, a ridiculous thing that they that they have to do. Um, the, to, to coordinate 11,000 letters 11,000, how far was that helicopter flying? Um, 11,000 letters, ridiculous um, Supervising Locations Manager Emma Pill says um, and I quote the biggest challenge however was to light the river at night this involved weeks of preparation we lit under each arch of Vauxhall Lambeth and Westminster Bridge 17 arches in total these lights then remained in position for five weeks we also lit the river from 10 rooftops along the bank of the Thames from Vauxhall to Hungerford Bridge working with Lambeth Palace Tate Britain and the Royal Parks to gain permission we also worked very closely with the House of Commons County Hall and the London Eye to keep various lights on or off or to change the colour of their lights for each night shoot which is Ridiculous, which makes sense though, of course, because you think, well, that one sequence is going to take weeks to shoot because there's a lot of action going on, and so they need to make sure that the continuity of like the same lights are running all of the buildings. It's just absolutely mind blowing. Um, each night shoot involved a location team of nearly 200 personnel that includes marshals, security, traffic management, and police officers. 200 people for each night shoot. Ridiculous. Pill laughed, added, that's a lot of radios to hand out and coordinate on a night, but it ran extremely smoothly each time. Um, the realities of shooting something like that. I did See, that's when, I don't know, obviously as with any kind of creative-ish person who has an interest in these kind of things, you know, you always think, well, maybe I might like to direct something. Um, there's the, the old adage of um, uh, Mother Teresa on her deathbed. You know, is there anything that you, you know, um, wanted to do in your life that you didn't get the chance to do and she's like well I always try fancy directing um, and of course you know you always think you'd like to be in charge and create some, you know a piece of art and whatnot. Um, but this kind of thing and like all the you know Michael Bay kind of films the amount of coordination required for them just makes them absolutely I, you couldn't pay me enough to direct something like that I mean not that anybody is but it just just an awful awful thing it's like being prime minister or something just one of those jobs I'm like no why would anybody want to do that just too much too much to keep your head around um, and then this is the third one this is this is I think my favorite this did actually make me burst out laughing um, in bed last night since this film does not use an original Ian Fleming story title there are still only four unused original titles remaining because I know that um, the last one used was the quantum of solace 
which is a ridiculous name for anything and doesn't trip off the tongue at all. In fact, Adam and Joe, or it might have just been Joe of Adam and Joe, did an amazing song um, taking the mick out of that, um, calling the, the something of Boris. Very, very funny. Look up YouTube it if you can. Um, so the, the four unused original titles remaining. The Property of a Lady could be used could be used that's i mean that's you know um makes it seem a little small scale um for for a bond film but you never know um the hildebrand rarity which doesn't it, it's even a step beyond the quantum of solace it's, just, it's the the least um nice sounding a nice kind of set of words to say the hildebrand rarity no absolutely not that's not going to happen risico got no idea what that relates to but that seems like it's, it's unlikely to be used and that, but I really want this last one to be used 007 in New York really sounds like a direct uh, direct to video kind of really shitty low budget sequel to it um, like, uh, like Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian or something um, I want to see 007 in New York I think that would be great I think that would be a real a real, uh, just a change of pace just a change of pace really um, but yeah one of the other things that with um, uh, IMDB trivia um, and this is something that's crept in uh, I've noticed it a couple of times um, coming in um, but normally it's only one or two but on this one it is an absolute shitload of the trivia which is, there's a huge amount of trivia, but a massive proportion of it is absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. It's people desperately, desperately looking for any kind of connection that they can between any Bond film and another Bond film, or even just another film, full stop. Um, it, it, really, it really upsets me. Okay, so here's the first one. This is trivia. This is something that you don't know about a film that somebody thinks is you'd be interested in. Okay? The character name of Spectre Henchman, Mr. Hinks, Dave Batista, rhymes with the name of Bond girl Jinx, Halle Berry, from the earlier James Bond film, Die Another Day. That's it. That's the trivia. Hinks rhymes with Jinx. That's what it might have might as well have said. That's not interesting. In no way and on no planet is that interesting at all. Um, number two, Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott, so not Moriarty. Andrew Scott plays the role of Moriarty in Sherlock. In the TV series... Wait, what is this? That role... What TV No, because the TV series is played... Anyway, so Andrew Scott plays the role... See, this is the other thing as well. Written atrociously. Andrew Scott plays the role of Moriarty in Sherlock. In the TV series, that role is played by Jared Harris, son of actor Richard Harris, whose younger brother, Dermot Harris, was the first husband of actress Cassandra Harris, who played the Bond girl, Liesl Baum, in the Bond film For Your Eyes Only, who around that time was the wife of former Bond actor star Pierce Brosnan. Ridiculous. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Just... Uh, no connection there whatsoever. Absolutely. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Who gives a fuck? It is not interesting at all. Um, this one. Oh, this one just really angered me. The first ever consecutive Bond film. Which has the same number of letters. Begins with the same letter. And has the same number of syllables as the previous Bond film. 
which was Skyfall. Oh my God, Spectre, Skyfall, seven letters, two syllables, starts with the same letter. Oh my God, not interesting. Not interesting at all in any way, shape or form. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about that. That is not interesting to anybody who has ever lived. Why put it on the trivia thing? IMDB, clean your shit up. This is the worst one, because this has a little trend that a lot of them seem to have, that people seem to think, oh, it's oh, it's fun. It's not fun. Oh, spoiler alert, not fun at all. And it's attached to, again, another mind-boggling trivia fact. It's the second Daniel Craig James Bond movie to feature a desert landscape after the first, which was Quantum of Solace. Right, okay, so firstly, that's stupid. That's a rubbish, awful thing. It's the first Bond movie to have a tree in it, since the last tree is the tree, look at the tree. Awful. But then we have this little second bit, which was made and released around 007 years prior to Spectre. Any time they can get a 7 into it, any time they can get a 7 into it, they will put it as 007. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. For, for what purpose? For what reason? Oh, because James Bond, yeah, I get it. But why are you putting that in the trivia section? That's not trivia. That is not trivia. That's stupid. That's sheer stupidity. Um, I've really sawed my throat up um, by getting so angry. And um, uh, I need uh, a lie down in a hammock. Um, so I'm going to do that now. Um, but it's been over an hour, bloody hell. So this is a this is definitely a podcast. Um, so yeah, so that was the the first in the I guess the 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 rebirth um, of Dancast um, talking about Spectre. If you you know if you've listened to this point, I hope hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, hopefully your name's not Rob, although I imagine it is. Um, but hopefully your name's not Rob. Hopefully you're a new person um, uh, listening to to the Dancast. But I hope you enjoy it. Um, there will be more of these intermittently. Uh, as and when um, I think of something to say, um, but yeah, it's been enjoyable. I've enjoyed it. It's getting back on the uh, getting back on the old horse. Um, so yeah, um, I'll think of a, a, a sign off at some point. Uh, I'd imagine. But thank you for listening, um, and uh, I'll be talking at you again sometime soon. Bye.